0: Welcome back to No Bucks Given, the equestrian podcast where we have honest conversations about the horse industry. Whether we're uncovering the science behind common myths or discussing both sides of a controversial social issue within the equestrian world, we want to get to the bottom of what's most important how to best advocate for our horses. Today I have with me friend of the pod, Melissa Gallagher. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) And we're going to be discussing a complicated topic, which is how to train horses and people with empathy. Melissa has a really unique perspective on this because she's developed her own training system that combines classical dressage with equine psychology. And I'm really excited to dive in to her system and her philosophy today and how you can use it to best help your horse in a way that's kind and empathetic to them. So Melissa, so thank well you for said. being here. <laughs>
1: thank you so much.
0: <laughs> so, you know, I would like to just zoom out a little bit because, you know, no one else uh, listening to this probably has gotten to work with you. But I've taken quite a few lessons with you at this point, and your system is so different and just so mind-blowingly kind to the horses in a way that I haven't experienced in many other training programs before. And I would really love to know what got you started on your journey and what helped you evolve to get to the point where you are now.
1: Wow, such a
0: okay. That's that's a deep topic. So, and you know, we have more top, we have more podcasts to get into it. But you know, whatever kind of comes to mind, right?
1: Right. No, I appreciate that, and thank you so much for your kind words. Um, Training horses has been, you know, my lifelong passion. I started riding when I was four years old, and um, was in like a a school setting, uh, an amazing an amazing place, Thorncroft Equestrian Center. They uh, we do handicapped and um, non-riding. And so I grew up with empathy in that way with people because our whole program, the whole program at Thorncroft, I say our, like it's, I always will feel involved with them because they're very close to my heart. But uh, seeing people that had different struggles physically and mentally that they were dealing with from such a young age, I think just gave me a different perspective on people. And then I volunteered with the therapeutic writing program as well as being part of um, the other writing program. And so it just was such a wonderful thing as a kid to experience because you were just among everybody and it, everyone was equal and we all helped each other and you just grow up with empathy.
0: That sounds just like such a wonderful place for a young person. I mean, I know. I grew up at, like, a more typical lesson barn with, you know, shows and stuff. And all the kids felt so competitive against each other. And even the parents got weird and competitive against each other. And there was even an element of that, you know, within my pony club. Um, And it's so interesting to think about – you know, when you have people in a community that's focused on giving to each other and helping each other, right. how beautifully that sets up kids for the rest of their life, even if they Absolutely. don't
1: continue with horses. Right.
0: Which So that's just, wow. I mean, that's really special. Right? That's so yeah, special. by
1: itself. And being uh, myself in my own personal life, uh, I had lost both of my parents very young. And I was raised by my maternal grandparents. They were my guardians. But I was legally an orphan until I was 18. Wow. I was very lucky that my family was able to take me in. And so I am very close with my aunts and uncles and my cousins. They're very much like siblings. And we're just a really tight-knit family. And I'm so grateful for that. But they will even tell you that the horses saved me. They just really gave me purpose. And they've always been there for me. And so, and Thorncroft, being a place that kind of accepts everyone yeah. Because I was that odd kid out in school. Yeah. Um, you know, why are your parents so old? And,
0: yeah. my, uh,
1: you know, things yeah. like that. And my grandfather had a stroke when I was three. So he was handicapped. And I remember being at Brimow Rehab while he learned how to walk again and talk again. And he always had trouble with speech. Um, and he had did not have use of one leg and one arm. And so being that Thorncroft was so accepting of all walks of life and everybody's situations, but not necessarily your your schoolmates. Yeah. You know, it just really was a safe place for me to feel like I wasn't the weird kid. Yeah. (laughs) And so then the horses are obviously within that as well and they never judge. Right. And so they're always there for you. And you know, it, it just was such an incredible experience. So I've always felt on the empathetic level that I I will owe horses my life, yes, forever.
0: Yeah,
1: um, and so I think that's why it's so important for me to approach training in the way that I do, because it makes me feel like I can give something back to them for everything that they've given me, and continue to, because you know I'm not the person I was 20 years ago, and I'm right. probably not going to be the person I am now in 20 years, right? right. And and hopefully in in a good way, that they continue to help me learn and change and grow as a person with that empathetic piece at the core of it. Yeah. Makes me a better parent. You know, good thing I didn't have a child before 33 because, (laughs) you know, I needed all of those horses in my teens and 20s to give me that level of patience. That's that I needed to be a parent. And if you don't get more patient with horses, I feel that you get more aggressive or more frustrated or, you know, these other um, things that you can be did feel defeated, all all these things. But if you just have patience and empathy, it will start to make you just better in your everyday life, um, as well as your training life.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, having empathy for others gives you a chance to have empathy for yourself as well. You know, I... So much of your story resonates with me so much. I mean, I had a pretty rough childhood. Um, I was molested, and I had a pretty hard time in school um, at different points in my life. Um, And as a teenager, I was very, very – I had a lot of mental health issues. Um, And horses truly saved me as well because, you know, even if I wasn't super happy at home and school was not a safe place for me – Throughout, you know, my life, Uh, horses was always my safe space and they were always a place where I could go and have no judgment passed on me no matter what I was going through at that point. Um, And I wish that every kid had had that sort of opportunity because I think that, you know, Looking back, you know, in some of the horsewomen in my life who were older, you know, one of them specifically reached out to me recently, and she was like, oh, my gosh. She, and she was like, she was like, I'm so proud of you and where you are now. And she said, I really didn't know if you were going to make it out of your teenage years. Wow. You know, she was like, I was really – she was like, I a lot of us just did not know what was going to happen with you. That's you so know?
1: powerful.
0: Yeah, and really and truly, you know, I'm just so thankful that I – Instead of forcing myself to, like, follow down a path of college and um, a job and, like, you know, maybe do uh, things that kids my age were more interested in doing, like um, be more involved in sports. I'm so thankful that I always just followed what made me happy, which was horses, because that allowed me to be a more empathetic person and to have a safe space where I could just be myself and kind of be at peace. Absolutely. You know, I think that, like – I think those teenage years especially are just so rough. And yes. if you don't have, yeah, if you don't have, like, an oasis where you can just, like, you know, let your hormones right. and your, you know, your fear of, like, everyone Everything. judging you, you know, it's, it, oh, it's just so overwhelming, it's you know. brutal. Yeah, and, like, I just remember, I mean, I think the thing that saved me, not only, you know, my heart horse Wesley – But just going on, like, trail rides with him, like, just walking around and just snuggling up with him. And, I mean, I would just hang out at – you know, I was a barn rat, like I'm sure you were. Like, I lived at the barn. Like, that was the only place that I felt really safe and happy. Um, And so, of course, I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to give back to those animals who did so much for me. And I wish – that every person who's troubled, which is all of us, degree, you know, I wish we all had animals in our life that kind of gave us that safe space of right. just being loved and accepted. Um, but sorry, I think I'm getting a little off track. So as you began your journey as a young adult, you know, you went to, did you go to college? Did you go, you know, did you start being a horse trainer immediately?
1: So I wanted to go to Europe and just dive in, but I was not allowed to. Oh,
0: no. By your family? Yeah. 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 So
1: they were like, you need to get a degree. Yeah. And it was interesting because I'm not made for school. It's not, (laughs) really, with my ADHD, um, it's just it's always been a challenge for me, but I'm glad that I tackled it. Yeah, um, and I did get my degree in psychology. I was supposed to get it in business management um, from the University of Delaware, and that's a hard school, and that was a that was a high order for me to think that I was going to just like skate through UV <laughs> and um, and come out like ready to ready to go. So I learned a lot, uh, but it made me work really hard, and it made me prove to myself that that I could do it. And so I did go psychology, and I loved it. And that's really interestingly how it's full circle, sort of helps me so much now. Yeah, using psychology with um, my students and the horses to just to help them. And so I'm like, oh, I mean, the business management would have been really good, but right. I also know my strengths and my weaknesses at this point.
0: Right
1: in my business, so. You learn to get people around you that are really good at the things that you suck at.
0: No, and I and I love you, but I don't think business management. No. I think that would have been a fish swimming up tree. Exactly. Up tra- yeah, I think Not that would have me. been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I read once that school, um, you know, traditional school is a lot like having, you know teaching a school of fish that they're stupid because they can't climb a tree. Right. And I, that just resonated with me so much. And for any young person or even older person who's listening to this, like if you don't do well in school, please don't think you're stupid. Right. You know, because I didn't do well in school. No, me neither. Um, you know, I did I did really well in some classes um, and just not very well in others. Yep. And I felt so stupid because I had <laughs> severe math anxiety. Yes. And, um, you know, and growing up now, like I get to do like the thing I'm actually good at every day. And right. that's the thing is like adults get to choose what right. they want to do.
1: Right.
0: Hopefully. Hopefully. Right. You know, kids don't kind of get that luxury. So I think like giving yourself grace if you are a kid or you're in college and giving your kids grace if you have them, yes. you know, if they're not
1: good at one or two subjects, like that is not. That's not the definition act, yeah. of what they're going to be. Yeah. And, and that we. Interestingly, like because I have a son in school yeah. and I'm dealing with this, yeah. and trying to help him learn. And luckily, he's really good at math because that would have been really bad.
0: But <laughs> helping him, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but now seeing it from like the outside in, kids don't just like horses. Horses have each their own way of learning. Mm-hmm. Why in this country do we expect children to all learn? The same same way. Oh, that's so so interesting. But that
0: really relates to horses. It really relates to horses. Like I even
1: have said to his teachers, you know, I have a different plan for each horse that I encounter that comes down, you know, for me, to me for training. And so, but Declan is expected to learn just like everybody else in his classroom.
0: And the sad thing about that is that's not, and I'm not saying you're saying it's the teacher's fault, but it's not the teacher's fault. It's the fact that we just don't have enough, you know, support for education in this country. And that's, I actually really love that you bring that up because, you know, what I personally notice in the horse industry is kind of this trend that like a trainer, and I'm not trying to pass judgment on these trainers. It's just something I've noticed that I feel like should be talked about more. You know, I notice a trainer bring one horse up the levels at best. A lot of the time, it's a person calling themselves a trainer who's ridden a made horse at the levels. Um, And then they go out on a shingle. You know, they hang their shingle as a professional, and they train other people's horses. But, you know, what I've noticed is a lot of these people basically take whatever worked for that one horse they brought up the levels, and they try to push – so many other horses into, into that, that mold. same mold. Yeah, right. and that's the thing is is like if you took one horse up the levels, you took one horse up the levels. Right. And what worked for that one horse, who maybe was a totally different breed, totally different disposition, right. is not going to work for all of your training client horses. Absolutely. Um and I just like I feel so bad for those horses. I feel so bad for like the second horse. And then, <laughs> you know, interestingly, I actually have noticed that a lot of these people who basically try to force their second horse up the levels never get there again. Because the first time they were super flexible and they didn't have a big ego. And they went and took lessons with all these other trainers and they did whatever that horse needed. And then they got up to the top level and then they said, oh, I'm just going to do it again. And I know how to do it now. And then they try to funnel and force Mm -hmm one or two young horses the same exact way and they never get there again. So not only is this bad for all of their training clients, it's bad for them and their personal
1: success as well. Absolutely. It's not, there's not just one way. You almost need to have Mary Poppins bag, I feel like. Oh, bag
0: of tricks. And that (laughs) only comes with experience. Just doing it over and
1: over. And I think for me, um, because I didn't have the opportunity to have one, you know, superstar go up the levels or, or, the ability to ride a made horse, really, right. even I never made it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm still I'm out still, here. In the trenches. Exactly, <laughs> I'm still trying. And so, but what that gave me was a lot of different types of horses yeah. trying, to, trying to figure yeah. out a way to make it on so many different uh quality uh types and as well as personality types, you know, different yeah. different hotness levels and yeah. And different soundness levels <laughs> and different breeds. And so what I would have considered something that was like a roadblock. Yeah. Ended up being exactly what I needed to get me to this place here. And hopefully, you know, to continue on. I'm still working on my metals. Yeah. I've been working on my metals for 18 years, 19 years. Yeah, I just need two more scores. But I've trained many horses to Grand Prix. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Doesn't mean that they have made it, you yeah. know, to the show ring or that they were successful in the show ring. Yeah. Um, but I learned so much getting there, and so it, you know, it is hard when you just look at the record. Right.
0: And record doesn't speak all, exactly. you know I I have like I have some friends who are a little bit deeper into the dressage world than I am and they like almost every person they meet like they look up their record and they're talking about it or they look up, you know, they look up their show record for any horse right. you know that's for sale. And I think that that's fair. I mean, like records don't lie, sure. right? Like there is something to be said for a show record, but it really does not paint the full picture no. by any means. Absolutely. Um, and it's – again, it's – you know, it's – that's what comes down to the sport. You know, I really do notice that a lot of the people who start in this sport with l- little to no money are the best trainers and the best right. educators because they were actually forced to figure it out. Exactly.
1: Right. Forced, right? They were forced. I, that's what yeah. we see it as. You right. know, and now I can look back and appreciate that. Yes, that's so true. Yeah. And so, you know, we were we were talking off camera the other day about, you know, if it weren't for all of those struggles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which were really hard, you know. Yeah. And there was no, many, many hard. times where yeah. I didn't think I was going to make it. Right um and I'm really glad I didn't give up and I'm talking as recent as two years ago yeah that yeah. you know I lost two homebreds back to back and it's awful it was awful my first two homebreds <clears throat> not the first two that I had but they were in my first generation very early on and they were the first two that I lost and they were within a month of each other that's so for good, totally right? different reasons yeah. and they were the two most important horses as like the face of my business
0: right and that's you know and that's another hard thing is that it's hard and that's like this is almost we're almost diving into another topic about the elite the elitist mentality of this sport which is the best trainer is the one with the most medals and the best show record and it's hard because as a trainer you do like it is so important to your business to be seen competing at a certain level and having certain results but then in turn that pressure can force you to get into some bad habits and some bad training
1: philosophies. Right, right. And the pressures of, yeah, you have to get here by yeah. this time and you have to, you know. And, you know, I see
0: most of us, you know, I see a lot of trainers as the, a lot of the trainers are the people who had the most money because in reality, to be a trainer in general, you need to have parents or someone who bought you a big facility, right? right. But in turn, I see a lot of these Adult amateurs and kids who probably don't have as much money mm-hmm. flock to these people who have a huge amount of money, who didn't weren't forced to make it and took a made horse up the levels. Right. And they're going to that person for advice on how to train their not type horse, right. their problem <laughs> horse, their young horse. And that trainer who is viewed as an expert because they rode a horse someone else made – can't help them. Right. So, wouldn't it be so much more beneficial to have a system to be able to look at who actually took their own horses up the right. levels, which is something we touched on on a previous episode of potentially like, you know, the USDF or any other organization allowing a different system for people who made their own you horses? No, or just an but, additional way, you Yeah, know, not to change yeah. it, but, but
1: no, absolutely adding not. to it would be yeah. helpful. And, you know, it's hard right now where I see the business going. With the billionaire. I mean, it's, right. it's It's not even like a millionaire's business it anymore. Is.
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's incredibly inaccessible for some of us. And so yeah. when
1: I see people, young people that were like myself that didn't have access to a family string, you know, I'm the only one in my family that rides. Right. And so, and they think I'm crazy and they're not wrong. Yeah. Um, but to not have that… You know, my parents were into horses, and my grandparents were into horses, or do not have a family farm that you grew up on. Or, right. um, and I got very lucky that my uncle is a dairy farmer, and <laughs> <laughs> um, so I grew up helping him. And we we did have two horses. That somebody abandoned, and they were two stallions. And I just thought, yeah, I can ride them. I was like ten, and so I love the confidence, right? Just so inflated. I would have
0: have thought the same thing. I would have like like, watched Flicka and been like, I know what I'm doing. I can totally do this.
1: And of course, there was one that was a paint. Oh my god, and wild. Oh
0: well, that that's your heart
1: horse. Exactly. Never started. The other one had been ridden, was a riding horse, and he was a big, tall chestnut. I wasn't interested in that one. Oh, no. No, Why would would I be interested in that one? That's boring. I want the one that's going to try to kill me every time I go near it. that's what makes it so special. (laughs) So I was like, oh, the writing was on the wall. (laughs) that this would be sort of the path that I went down. And my uncle would have his elbow into the neck of this horse and he'd have a halter on it. And I'd be on it bareback holding the long mane. Oh my God. And the only way we could get this horse to walk initially was that he would try to strike my uncle (laughs) as it walked and trying to bite him. And then I like fast forward 20 years and all the trouble horses that I've worked with. And I'm like, well, I was 10 when we really started this journey. (laughs) And now I'm going, I'm 42. I, I want to slow down on that journey. Yeah, I don't right. want to be on the ones that are trying to eat me and strike me and, you know, all of that. But I've done my dues with those. Yeah, you
0: paid your dues. I've yeah. paid my dues,
1: yeah. And I'll, I'll teach others how to, how to do that. Oh, yeah. It and could- I still get them in. I mean, you know, I had yeah. two of them last year. I can't, I can't say no when... When people come and say, This is it, this is the last stop, you know, and I'm like, And that's now I want to go, I'll give you the number of <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, I know a really good cowboy. I know a great, right. Yeah, exactly. I can give you the number of.
0: Right. So that, you know, but that's the thing is like that's those problem horses are often the ones that need the most empathy. They do. So, okay, so you went to college to kind of
1: <laughs> Right. We're gonna go back in. Yeah, so kind of back <laughs>
0: in. You went to college, you got your degree in
1: psychology.
0: Mm-hmm. Then did you go to Hilltop from there?
1: I did. You know where I did Hilltop was um, in in high school. Really? Yes, 1993 or 4 to like 97 or 98. They used to have a young rider summer camp.
0: Really? That's so cool. It was actually really cool. That's amazing.
1: We lived there.
0: Whoa! Yeah, they had a wow. bunkhouse.
1: Wow! Yeah, oh right. It's crazy. That's so amazing. And yeah. they had a giant cafeteria, and the because the whole staff lived on property because oh, yeah. no. Hilltop yeah, is kind of do. in the middle of nowhere.
0: Yeah, no, Hilltop is just. I mean, for ro- those of you who don't know what Hilltop is, it's a premier breeding operation, mm-hmm. and in just. Is it's it in Ch- Calora, Maryland. It, oh, okay, it's mm-hmm. not technically in Chester County, but I feel like everyone in Chester County, Pennsylvania, has like filtered in and out. Right, there we know at some everybody point. knows
1: Hilltown yeah. If you're on the East Coast, even, yeah. or maybe even beyond that, I'm sure they have right. such a, a big name. Um, Jane McElroy is the the owner, and she built it, I think, in '92 or '93. I was there very early on. I mean, this was like in the in the very beginning, and I remember the first time we pulled in there, I'd never seen anything like this.
0: It's a huge I mean it is, it is gorgeous because I'm from Iowa, and I went there very early in my experience after moving out here, and I mean it's it's just mind blowing it's insane there's I don't know of anywhere else like right.
1: it, it's huge Seeing it's that this huge like a huge facility, year old?
0: yeah, and it's beautiful, it's gorgeous, yeah. oh, it's gorgeous, yeah, I think I was nineteen or twenty, and yeah, so I
1: was like, we pull in okay with my off the track there run, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All the girls, who I'm still friends with a lot. I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I did the camp with, which is great. But they all had nice dressage horses. Yeah, and you, you were know? like, oh. And I was like, oh. <laughs> we pull in, no joke, with a two-tone brown truck and trailer oh with a hole in the floor of the trailer. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like, we need to leave. Like, we the, just, just turn, turn around, around, get out. We need to leave. And this was my trainer and her husband. Like, we, I didn't yeah. even have a truck and trailer. I didn't own the horse. Wow. This was, you know, she she gifted me this this horse to use for the camp and I rode him in our drill team um at Thorncroft. He was and so she allowed me to have the feeling of having my own horse at a very young age and I would work at the barn um and it was just below Thorncroft it was like yeah. a private barn that was just just in the next the next driveway. And so she let me compete him. I mean it was amazing.
0: I had a trainer that did that for me as well. And she's still um in my life. Her name's Paula. She's just I mean, and she like she's so she's totally the reason I'm here right. today. Don't you yeah. just and like, I mean so special. Like she, so she's special. just like these wonderful women who help out these right. young women. I mean, it's just what a special bond. What part a special bond. Community. You know, we yeah. were so
1: bonded. Yeah. And she was my she was the coach of the mainstreamers then as well, the drill team coach. And so I just became like their other kid, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was amazing. Her name was Eileen Cording. Um, uh, for all the Thorncroft people that that end up hearing this, and she was just incredible. And everybody at Thorncroft has, has been amazing to me. And uh, so then she gifted me that horse. She battled lupus, and eventually, that's oh, um, what she passed from. But. She was too sick to ride, and I went to college the first year, and I couldn't take him, and so he just kind of sat, and he was yeah. not happy about it. Oh, birds like to have right; a job. they like to have a job, yeah. and he felt like I abandoned him, which was an early lesson for me on how horses actually attach to you.
0: They really do. And so much of your story is resonating with me, too, because I brought my thoroughbred Wesley up the levels of dressage, as you know. And I went to Hilltop, and I had had Wesley at the time, and I was attending a young rider um, clinic with George Morris. That's why I went there. And I – I wasn't riding. I wasn't allowed to ride. I wasn't <laughs> <laughs> I applied and I got denied. Right. right. Which is fine, which is very fair. <laughs> and I remember like sitting there because so I like went to audit and right. you know, I was watching all these young kids with like these beautiful warm horses and their parents were there and like so supportive of them. Right. And I was like, I don't belong here. I know.
1: We need to go. Right. Like this, what am I doing here? Yeah, what
0: am I this is not my this world. Is not for me. <laughs> but
1: I'll tell you, um, Scott, you know, who's – I mean, I love Scott Hassler. He's wonderful. He's a good yeah. friend. Um, his mom, Jill, is someone that I considered a mentor for oh, okay. a long time. She really – she was an incredible horsewoman. I mean, my gosh. One in a million. And um, she knew that I was going to, like, work my butt off
0: Aww, for that opportunity, yeah.
1: you know. And we had to journal um, and hand in our journal at the end of the week. We had like other work than just our riding at the camp. What? Wow! What a special I still have yeah, it, experience. You know? Oh wow! That's right. amazing. It's amazing, yeah. and I will go back to it and like look yeah. for you know things that we learned. There was a lot of really good information in there, and we got to ride some of the hilltop horses that's in amazing. lessons. They had lesson horses then, and um, it was just incredible. And she is. She's the one that told me not to go to college for an equestrian degree. Not that, you know, I'm not knocking anyone that does No, I'll
0: knock that all day long. I mean, (laughs) I don't, I'm not saying, I'm not knocking anyone who is doing that or has done that, but I don't know a single person who did that and didn't regret
1: it. Really?
0: Yeah, I mean, every single person was like, I spent $100,000 on this degree to... Work in a barn, right? Right. <laughs> Which w- working in a barn is what we all want to do. What, well, we need but the experience you anyway. You could have worked in a barn out of high school and not put yourself back four years
1: and, and, debt and seriously and, yeah, into yeah, yeah. debt. Yeah.
0: Um. You know. And I think that unfortunately, uh, those equestrian degrees, most people who enroll in them is because it's a bargain with their parents of like you have to go to college. Right. Okay. Well, I'll but do it I with... want to ride horses, <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to do this, but. Please just do, like, a business management or a psych or something else degree. Because those – I mean, if you want to double major, that's awesome. Because I do think the the couple of people I know who, like, they do say, like, I regret doing it, but it wasn't all bad. It's because they – Never had the opportunity to be in a barn before they went to college. Okay, and they so that always gave them that, to that. And it gave yeah. them like that kind of more beginner experience sure. that like most of us have by the time we get to college. We get to college if we're sure. lucky enough. Exactly. But if you are really if you're serious, not. yeah, if you're really serious about going into horses, but you have not had the opportunity at all to be with horses. And you are being forced to go to college or you really want to go to college double majoring. Right. You know, it's kind of like I think of an, a major in equestrian as from the outside. I don't have a degree in music or anything. But kind of like music, like you don't really want to go to college just to get a degree in music because – that's not going to, like, look great to a lot of employers if, sure. let's say, it, that career doesn't work out for you. But I have a lot of friends who, like, double majored in, like, music and
1: finance right, or, like, right.
0: theater and economics. Like, having a backup
1: degree. Having a passion and then having their, yeah, you know, their, their backup or you know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly that's a big one
0: yeah so you can have like and get some experience right. and get some knowledge and i'm sure like you know one of my friends who did the equestrian studies, she did learn a lot of like good things from it she but she's like it was just so much money and
1: so much so much debt. money you which know, is college in general right? right but right and you're not guaranteed to get a job anymore coming you're up. not
0: no i mean me and my boyfriend neither of us have bachelor's degrees we both went to trade schools and we bought a house at 25 right. we're you know, other than our mortgage, we're debt-free and none of our friends who are our age are in the position we are. That's being, what I've
1: been talking to Declan about yeah, already, you know. Yeah. He's only nine and I'm like, I don't know where the world is going to be when you're at that yeah. age and college might not be the way to go. Like most, the richest people in the world, a lot of them have not gone to college. Gone to college. Yeah,
0: And I think that, you know, we do talk about this and it's true. I do and I do think it's very true that college degrees are just do not mean what they mean anymore. I do think that for some, like, socioeconomic spaces, having a college degree is still a really good idea. Absolutely. Like, for example, if you are, like, much – um, if you like have the opportunity to go to college for free because of financial need, like FAFSA and stuff Absolutely. like that, I would say do it. Right. You know, but we're talking about like those of us who are in the middle class who like don't get help to go to college. You're so we're in going de- to be if you're in starting debt. out that much. Yeah, in debt. yeah. But if you can go to college for free, I would say still do Absolutely. it. You know, so that you have a really good backup because. Or do a trade school as a backup. Like, no matter what, I think having some sort of backup degree
1: from horses Definitely. is a really good idea. And Jill um, recommended to me, which is what I did, to get your go summer intern. Yeah. So go to school for something that's going to be useful to you in another way. Yeah. And then get your horse experience. In the summers. In the summers. Yeah. You know, so that's where, you know, Hilltop came in. But um, she, Before that, that's, she's the one that told me to do that. And then I went and interned at Iron Spring. Awesome. Um, and interned at a couple other smaller farms and and it then I got really into breeding uh because of Iron Spring. That's what yeah. you know sort of led me down the the breeding path, which I'm super grateful for. And um started that journey, which is what started everything. Uh Iron then I worked for Iron Spring after college. Okay. Yeah. And I went to Went to Iron Spring as their show jumper, <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, and so that was an interesting time because you get a bunch of horses when you come in there, and I did not have the education that I needed. Right, going in there, it was sort of that fake it till you make it. Yeah, we've um, all been there. Um, you know, man. and I had yeah. to interview with them, and I had to ride a bunch of horses a couple of times for interviews, and um, and I was like, I got this, you know. <laughs> Meanwhile, mm-hmm. I'm like, I have no idea, what, <laughs> you know. I'm I'm 20, whatever. I was like 24. Right. Yeah, and uh, but I had already interned there, so I I knew a lot of the people that worked there, and I knew the system, and and then I came back as a young horse trainer, and then I was the sales manager for them, and it was great. I got so much experience working for them, and in all aspects of the business, from from breeding and injuries and young horse starting and sales and marketing, and you know it was was incredible. Photography even because she used to have Terry Miller, she might still have Terry Miller come in. Yeah. um and Sue Stickle and you know like these incredible photographers in our in this industry. And so uh, horse handling, Devin breed show. I mean that's right. where I learned.
0: So is that where you started to develop your system a bit? I mean it seems like you've kind of always had it.
1: I think it was always in the back of my mind yeah. but then being, you know, exposed to so of many it horses. and like actively yeah. searching this the way we the way we started horses back then was not the way that I wanted to really develop my relationship with a horse, it was just mm-hmm. kind of old school and like track, and yeah. I was on the track too.
0: Right. <laughs> and yeah. so you get a Race lot of experience. Track, just oh, to, sorry, just on the racetrack. To, yeah. yeah. Just to make that clear to everyone.
1: Um, you get a lot of a lot of experience on the racetrack. There's just so many avenues you can you can go down if you really want to experience every aspect of the horse world. And Just it's so good. Well, so good. I will
0: say we are uniquely lucky in this area. Right. Yeah. You know, I absolutely. think that you know the fact that like you and so many people in this area have the background of like being at the track, being at a breeding farm, being right. at dressage barn, going fox hunting. Yeah. Most people in the world don't, don't get, get those that. opportunities. Yeah. But I will say. You can make your own opportunities. Absolutely. You know, anyone in the, like, world can seek out other opportunities outside of their now, own That's one thing now. We didn't have the internet then. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you know, so now beautiful. you can yeah.
1: you can look up anywhere you would like to intern and, you know, try to get a position. I didn't know how to access any of that. So luckily we were in this area 30 years ago because right. there was no way to really find uh, or forty uh, yeah thirty five years ago. There was no way to really find what else was out there. And so right. being in Chester County was phenomenal, especially back then before you had the access to every everything at your fingertips. Yeah, um, And I even did a summer camp at New Bolton.
0: Oh, that's so. cool. When I was like yeah. eleven,
1: and I wanted to be a vet, I mean, I would never have made it through vet skirt school. <laughs> Let me just be clear: there's no way that was going
0: to ever happen. New Bolton is the local veterinary. Yes, center New Bolton here. Center is yeah. a,
1: is a part of the University of Pennsylvania, and yeah. they're a major equine yeah, hospital amazing. on the East yeah. Coast. Yeah, and research center, and um, I actually teach a lot of the research department, which is amazing.
0: Oh, that's really cool.
1: And it, we're lucky to have that, you know, ten minutes down the road for emergencies.
0: We are we're so, we're so lucky. lucky in this area, but to loop back. <laughs>
1: <'cause we laughs> She's always there, looping yeah. me back. She's I'm always going to do that.
0: Sorry, Allie. <laughs> <laughs> so you got out of college with a psychology degree and then you went and worked at Iron Spring and then you started to migrate into your own business with kind of the, this different perspective of yes. empathy, you know, from your background, um, as a young person, and as well as your degree in psychology. So I'm curious as to what, you know, that's kind of looked like as you develop, as you developed and as you are now um, with your own business, you know, you've been in business for at least 10, 15 years.
1: Yeah. When did I go out on my own? I don't know. My, I think my oldest fall is 18 now. So yeah, we're probably looking since, since 2007. Okay. So, wow. However long. <laughs> Math is really hard for right? 16 years. So
0: did you start, you can rephrase this question, Yeah. but did you start
1: with breeding and then get into training? I did. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Okay. So you started with breeding and then you got into training. I did, yeah. So why?
1: Um, because when I worked at Iron Spring, part of the deal as an employee is that you could get one free breeding and... Um, that's how they then, sucker
0: you in. That's how they get you, right? <laughs> and then a discounted
1: breeding because, yeah. you know, it helps their breeding program and it yeah. also helps somebody that wants to get into it. Yeah. And um, I learned a lot as an intern there in the breeding. I was in the breeding department. And okay. so it. I had a, an interest in it. Yeah. And then when I had the opportunity to breed to an Iron Spring Stallion, I thought, oh. Yeah, is, totally. <laughs> um,
0: I'm finally going to have it myself a nice dressage and, horse. Right. And
1: yeah. actually, you know, it's interesting. This this is my memory playing tricks on me. I started breeding before that, which I am just remembering now because I have oh, really yeah I have uh, three foals that were pre Iron Spring stallions. Oh, so it was actually when I worked for one of my very dear friends and longtime trainers, Bobsey Clark. Oh, okay. She had the stallion R Johnson, and I worked for her, and I adore her to this day. I still you know praise a lot of the things that I have learned along the way come from her. And she, so she had R. Johnson and I had a thoroughbred mare and so awesome. it just seemed like, all right, let's let's go. We're gonna <laughs> I'm
0: pretty sure that's every young professional. They literally have they're like, oh, I have a thoroughbred mare, let, right. me, breed let me breed it, it. so it. that I can get something a little bit nicer. Yeah. And then they breed the next one and, and the then. Next the next one. one and- yeah, no, that, and that's very fair. And I mean, I love thoroughbreds and they give so much like blood to mm-hmm. you know, I think especially maybe this is just my lack of education, but I've noticed a lot of the warm bloods of today have a lot more like go and forwardness than and the warm that. bloods mm-hmm. I, the warm bloods I grew up with. Right. So uh, breeding a warm blood to a thoroughbred, even for potentially a dressage horse was not necessarily a bad idea if you liked a
1: horse with Certainly, yeah, go. 25 yeah. years ago. And right. you get a little lighter bone and, yeah. and and a little bit more get up and go. And a little bit more
0: work ethic. Right. Yeah, right. but now it seems – I mean, now I ride a lot
1: of warm bloods who have it all.
0: Have it all, have, have it all. absolutely. Yeah,
1: the, the breeding has really changed a lot. But, yeah, so after working with Bobsey I got the job at Iron Spring, and, yeah, that's crazy. So I guess I went to her right after college, and then I went to Iron Spring, and then I left there thinking – Um, how easy it was going to be to have my own business. (laughs) And, you know, to be uh, (laughs)
0: young. Well, this is like an aside. I need to stop getting off topic. I mean, when I started my first online course, I literally wrote down in my diary, like, oh, it's going to take me a week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right? You know, I, a year
0: later, <laughs> those
1: grand delusions. But,
0: but those delusions are what get you, started. What get you started. There's started. nothing wrong with being a little a little delusional, you know? because honestly, like looking back, like uh, now looking back, I would have taken on that project. But six months into that project, right, I would have like, never, never. I was. I mean, I think that I think my first online course took at least a year off of my life, right. probably more. And I'm sure your first few years of business
1: took at oh, least a few a, years. A, up a of lot, life. and then some later and. And still yeah. till today, yeah. Yeah. No, but it was, um, I mean, I can, because I told you I have the journals from Hilltop, Summer Camp, yeah. And in those, sometimes were vision boards we did. Oh, I love that. You should see my vision board from back then. I assumed I was also going to have a farm that looked just like Hilltop. I assumed I was going to the Olympics <laughs> as like a 12-year-old.
0: Oh. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to the Olympics. I think if you look yeah. at
1: my notes, I've already been to three. <laughs> I've already and I already have medals. Oh yeah, and I was like, no, no, and I was like,
0: oh, I'm going to be a Grand Prix dressage rider by the time I'm 25. Right.
1: On paper, I was Charlotte Desjardins.
0: Oh yeah, (laughs) you know. in reality, like that's all. But like, you have to shoot high. You have to aim high. Yeah, shoot for the moon, and you'll land among the stars. You know, here's what
1: I, I I love. You know, the the mentality of listen, like even if it's a struggle, but you're doing what you love. Yeah. Don't quit. Yeah, because it's if you, you quit, love. you're never gonna make it. Right. But if you have enough to get by and like financially you're okay, mentally you're okay, right. and you're doing what you love, and you haven't quote unquote made it. Right. If you're happy, just keep going.
0: Well, and, and even does, if you're not, sometimes
1: yeah. just keep no, going. No. <laughs> well, but like,
0: what does making it actually mean? And right. I think again,
1: we have That's to right. like, I did like the the air, air quotes, right? right. Because. No. That definition can well, mean a lot of things. Right.
0: And like we have to, I am going to funnel us back to the original conversation, but like, you know, making it is so arbitrary.
1: Yes. Like
0: a goal, like you should not make a goal of, for example, going to the Olympics if you don't <laughs> like training horses, right? Like, right. You're like, you're. You should feel – I hope that everyone gets the opportunity to have a job that feels like they've made it every day before they get to that goal. I have hit that
1: recently. Like in the last – I would even say like four or five years where I can wake up every day and say if this is the best I get, like if this is as far as I make it, which, you know, I, I hope not. Right. But I'm happy where I'm at.
0: I feel the same way. Yeah, no, I feel yeah, and that's what a what and that's a gift. huge oh what a, most people never get that right. Yeah, most people never get that. But careers, you also have to be but.
1: content, not necessarily reaching every you know every goal that you yeah. had as a kid, and you you have to be yeah. content in where you are, you know. And like, am I financially set? No,
0: no, no. You no, know,
1: am I still Struggling to pay vet bills some months, and you know making it all work. We have to buy a huge, you know, trailer load of hay for the winter. Like right. we're still juggling all of that, but we're also not in the red. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes that's considered making it. That's and if a win, you can be honestly happy in horses, yeah, and you're content, and and we're smiling every day, and yeah. Ashley luckily does all the budgeting because if she didn't, then we financially wouldn't be where we are.
0: Right.
1: Um, you know, that goes to surround people, surround yourself with people that you can trust. That so true. That are going to fill in your gaps. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think making it is not necessarily what you thought it was going to be. It certainly doesn't look like I thought it was going to look like. No. And I I would have been a probably an Olympic eventer if we go all the way back. Right. I didn't ever think I was gonna be a dressage trainer. <laughs> and now is so boring. I love it. It's so boring. It's so boring. <laughs> Why would I do that? And it's funny now because even now, like I don't love watching it. <laughs> That's I know so I wanna do back. it. I just wanna be no. it. I wanna be no. in it.
0: No, like, well, but I that's do the it. thing. Yeah, no. Back when the Olympics were going, everyone was like, "Are you watching? Are you watching?" And I was like, "I don't want to watch dressage. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch eventing. Yeah, eventing yeah. and show jumping. Are show jumping. The that's the
0: <laughs> other I I love dressage. You know, and like, now I, I watch dressage, it to, but yeah, to,
1: to watch what I want to. Oh yeah, what you want? What gain I want to gain of out it. of it, yeah. or what and I want to like? The like strategy yeah, the strategy. It's more yeah. for that reason that I no, like. No, and there's a lot of validity to that. But
0: okay, but. You know, to loop that back to training horses with empathy, I actually really think when you lighten the emphasis you place on a goal, you know, for example, Mm -hmm. a young professional wants to make a team. So they get one or two horses with the intention of developing it to that team. Um, I think that person is so much more set up to be empathetic to their horse if they actually love the process of training horses and aren't just doing it to fulfill their own need to be on a team, be represented, represent the United States. You know, I really like think that encouraging empathy in the U.S., in, you know, encouraging empathy in young trainers and young equestrians, it would be so interesting to me if we spent less time celebrating the people at the very top of the sport and more time celebrating people who have a, the same horse for 20 years, that right. sound. Or like spent more time celebrating the people who took a non-made horse up the levels right. or spent more time celebrating the horse who – you know, I, I'll i never forget this. I got chills watching it. I was at Global in Wellington and I watched this musical Freestyle and this horse was so relaxed. His ears were flopping and he was so soft and supple through his top line. And I've just like got chills watching that. And I, and that horse, I don't think won that Freestyle. I do think he did quite well, but like That horse to me was the, like, I I was like, I don't give a shit about any other accolade. I just want to ride a Grand Prix freestyle like that. I was like, that is like the coolest thing. I mean, I wish stuff like that, like seeing horses at the upper levels be so happy. Happy to be
1: doing their job. Yeah, happy to be doing
0: their job. I wish we spent more time celebrating that and less necessarily. About
1: movement or, you know, yeah, I think that would be, that's my goal. Yeah, You know, I always say I have no interest in getting there if my horse isn't happy and willing to get there with me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think
1: that's a big deal. And I think when I took some yeah. of the pressures off of myself is when I really got content and too. happy in my yeah. training. And getting the right people around you, I think, is also equally as important.
0: Yeah, you're the sum of the five people you're around the right. most. And that's... Just, like, it's, like, a fact of life,
1: you My know? team is just yeah. amazing, you know. And yeah. the people that you have around you, I've met so many of them. And yeah. they're just, they're your champion. You're their champion. Yeah. They, you know, and it's a, a deep care, you know. yeah. And But those relationships,
0: I mean, I was just telling one of my friends, we were talking about it, and it takes years to build a community like that. I mean, I remember when I first came here, and there were some good people in my life when I first came here, but I just felt so lost and alone for years, years and years. I mean, it's taken me – I've been in this area now six years, and it's taken me about that long to – really have a community like this, you know, I think it took me, I really, it was around five years that like last year that I really had a really solid
1: community. So, you know, and how brave of yeah. you to like come out here and just, you know. <laughs> be by myself.
0: Right, and yeah. be by yourself and yeah. be okay
1: with that. And yeah. I'm sure you didn't think it was going to take that long, right? We always think it's no, going to happen you don't. right away. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, but, you know, and I, I hope like anyone listening to this who doesn't have a good community of equestrians around them, like it, it might not be you. You know, like I think I was pretty miserable for a while in this area, and I almost went home because I just – there were so many toxic people in my life at one point and who didn't want the best for me, who were, you know, jealous, who tore me down, or who were just – maybe they even did want the best for me, but they were so miserable in their own lives. Right, They couldn't possibly even picture what a good life for me would look like. Right. Um, You know, and it just took a series of, like, diving into – what made me happy yes you know i think like you and i have talked about this a little bit like when you do what makes you happy and you're brave and you stand up for who you are as a person and a horse person you start to attract the people, right people to you mm-hmm. yeah who believe in you and who believe in your system and don't be afraid to cut
1: toxic people yes. out of your life that's so a good. huge one and it's yeah. hard oh
0: it's it's like the hardest thing. I mean, I had a best friend who I loved. I mean, she was like a sister right. to me, and I had to cut her out of my life. And it was so painful, but. It's so
1: painful. But, but you have the to. The interesting do it.
0: thing is, as soon as I cut that person out of my life, my life soared. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was the moment. I mean, that was like. I was on the precipice of success with my business. You can breathe deeper. Business. You can feel it. Yeah. And then as soon as I cut her out, I met so many more good friends. And my business succeeded. Right. And my riding succeeded. That's how I you feel, know? too.
1: You know, and yeah. the team that I have around me now, they're just yeah. incredible. And I'm so grateful to them as as people, not just as, you know, supporters in my business. But, you know, they're like family to me. And we go on yeah. vacation together. And I,
0: know. I was telling I was know. telling my friend about that because— Um, she, so the producer of this podcast, Allie is the shit and she, her and I have become quite close and she spends a lot of time, um, visiting me in my home because she's from Texas and we were talking about going on a vacation right. together. Is and right? I was I was mentioning her. I was like, Melissa just went on a vacation with all of her barn team. And I was like, that is so sweet that you can work with people 365 <laughs> days a year <laughs> yeah. and still want to go still on wanna a go vacation. On vacation with them. But that's what happens when you attract the good people in your life, right when people. your life's purpose is aligned. Right, like, exactly. That's yeah. what it feels like.
1: Yeah. And just, you know, sticking to your guns for me, like as far as not compromising what I wanted my business to be, yeah. And when we did change the name, and you know, how much it meant behind that and the reason that I wanted to do it, um, because this is a collective group of people that care about the right things with their horses and the roots of what it should be about.
0: Because your business name is Collective, collective Roots Dressage. dressage right. Yeah. So when we
1: call it CRD um, or okay. Roots, we call it Roots all the time just because oh, that's cool. easier.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but I wanted the collective in there because— it's not just me. Yeah. You know, it's well, my that's people. Very special. It's my yeah. team. I can't do this alone. I mean, they've Absolutely. even helped raise my child. <laughs> you know, like this is so much bigger than just a barn. It's a it's a family and yeah. like we have our just we're just it's just amazing and it makes me feel so good every day to get to do this. And so for anyone mm-hmm. that that is like uncertain where they are or they just feel like they need to make a change um, you're gonna get, you're, you're gonna be insecure about it, and you're you might hit some roadblocks, and and you might, you know, people say, oh, don't change the name. People know you as whatever, and I was like, I'm gonna do what I want. Yeah, it's your business. <laughs> it's my That's business. the whole point, you know. Yeah. And I love like the new logo, and you know, it's just, yeah. I just love it, and I'm so happy with it. But don't always doubt yourself. Yeah. And if you need to make a change in your your personal life or in your business. Give yourself that grace and, and be be bold and be brave. And you know what? And if you do mess it up, just it's not that serious. change course.
0: Yeah, it's not that you know you have to make mistakes to gain experience. Absolutely. I've made yeah.
1: more mistakes than I a have lot, too. Right? Yeah, and no, like, I've made
0: a lot of mistakes. Yeah.
1: And give yourself that empathy. Yeah. And give your clients that empathy and give your horses that empathy. And if you're You know, it doesn't matter what age you are either to make those changes or to start something that you've wanted to do your whole life. Do you know how many people I know that are, um, and it doesn't, not just even equestrians, but like there's famous painters that started when they were in their 70s.
0: That's so true. Yeah, yeah. I love. I love the concept of you know taking someone who discovered this sport a little bit later in life because so many people are not able to afford to be in horses until right. they're out absolutely on their own. and it's really so expensive their, yeah really in their thirties or forties or fifties right. you know a lot and of it people. was their
1: childhood dream and yeah. they're afraid to you know, put themselves out there and just find and the right amazing,
0: trainer. how amazing and brave to pick up a sport yeah. as difficult as this one as an adult.
1: I can't even imagine. I you can't know, imagine either. I have so yeah. much uh, respect for my adult student that started riding as adults. Right. and Because I started at four when I bounced and had no fear and had no concept of fear.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah
1: so I think it's really adm- admirable um, to, as an adult, knowing that, uh, first of all, that you do break. Um, and that you do know the consequences of what riding, you know, can do and and say, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many, I'm doing yeah. this. I think that's amazing.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, to me, like, it. I think you and I talked about how having horses young in our life taught us empathy. And I yeah. think both of us and many young adults would have turned out, you know, looking at our backgrounds and all the <laughs> – shitty things that happen to us, We either one of us, I know me for sure, maybe not you, I could have turned into a monster if oh, it wasn't for horses. Horses taught me empathy. A hundred percent. And horses continue to teach me empathy every day. Yep. And, you know, I look at a lot of these um, adult amateurs and people who get into horses later in life, and t- what I've noticed is a lot of these people come from a corporate world or a world that can feel soul sucking seems like yeah. such, such such low hanging fruit to call it right. but maybe it doesn't maybe it isn't their life's purpose right. but they or are certainly able. not what
1: they're passionate about
0: yeah yeah it's not their passion it's a job yeah it's a job which there's nothing wrong with nothing having wrong a job nothing wrong
1: with that but, you, but know, you want to find something that you are passionate about. Yeah, then that outside lights of you up. Job. Yeah, yeah.
0: And they get to not only have a passion, and they get to unite with like like-minded people, um, but they also get to have this incredibly like spiritual and empathetic experience. Because we haven't even gotten into like kind of the almost like more spiritual side of this. And I'm not saying that you have to be a spiritual or religious person to be in horses, but I think that being with horses makes you so empathetic and more uh, open and observant of
1: energy. Yes. Energy is a big one.
0: Energy is real. Like you can walk into a room you know, even if you don't believe in, let's say, like, astrology signs and sure. right here in re- retrograde, I know anyone listening to this podcast can walk into a room and feel when feel two energy. people are fighting, right. right? There's tension in the air. Yes. And I know anyone who's listening to this podcast can walk into a barn and without even looking at the horses a lot of the time can feel if the horses are going to be happy or right. not. You know, and I think that I've noticed so many – of these like adult equestrians just get kind of like the second wind and the second joy of life through horses because they get this whole new experience and view on the world you know they were maybe so focused on like you know their job and achievement and like horses force you to be empathetic to be patient to be kind to others and really
1: to and if they don't you should not be in it
0: No, and you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. But, and, you know, finally, I think that horses teach you to trust in life and trust in yourself because horses are incredibly dangerous, especially when you start it later in life. Right. And when you kind of almost have a sense of feeling of surrender, of, like, this can happen to me, Um, you know, something bad could happen to me. Like, all of us every day take a risk when we're with horses.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: You know, when you have that feeling of surrender of, like, I am trusting this thousand-pound animal who I can't speak to um, to carry to me, carry me um, and I'm also trusting myself to be able to handle anything that comes up. What a feeling of confidence and autonomy and, like, trust in the universe almost to get a little Absolutely. bit philosophical.
1: And And um – and I've been in a lot of really scary situations. Yeah, a I too, countless. Right? Yeah.
0: Anyone who's in the industry has. Right. Yeah.
1: And you know, we're a little bit crazy to to keep coming back to it, but yeah. there's just there's just something about the relationship that you can have with a horse that keeps us coming back, no matter how many times equestrians have been put in the dirt. You know, or, or friends that I've lost to this sport.
0: Yeah, which um, is scary.
1: Or friends that are. Uh, I have a very dear friend that's paralyzed from it, and. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't that was hard to get over myself. Um, and then when when I became a parent, I had to get over this whole mom fear of then coming as a trainer and and being the person that put confidence into these horses when I was getting my own confidence back from having a child. And then what if something happens to me?
0: Yes, which is very scary. So we are getting a little bit off topic. Uh,
1: no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> our favorite this, thing to do, Allie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this,
0: this has been – this has definitely been an episode for that. But I would love to talk about how, you know, you implement empathy in your day-to-day training of horses. Um, you know, like, for example, let's say you get in a problem horse and um, – You know, you're kind of doing your initial evaluation ride. Like, what are some things you look at, or what are some things you like to kind of like implement um, in your training sequence and plan with them?
1: Absolutely. Um, And I start basically whether it's a a traumatized horse that's come in, or just any horse for training, or a horse I'm breeding. I start basically the same with the falls um, uh, in in a roundabout way, but. A traumatized horse or even a horse that just comes in and I have to evaluate.
0: Yeah.
1: I want to see what their history is um, as much as I can. And I obviously they can't tell me all the barns that they've been to and all right. the experiences yeah. that they've had.
0: Oh my gosh, I wish they could I wish they could, right? Yeah. It would help
1: it would help me so much. Yeah. But what I will what I will usually do is kind of look at their face to start. Okay. Um, I look at the eyes and I want to see you can really tell if you start to just observe yeah. because um, you're not going to, if you don't know this, you're not going to look at a horse's eye and be like that horse is troubled or that horse is really content or, you know, you have to just start looking at them and looking at a lot of different horses' eyes and then you'll start to really see. And even the shape can change yeah. depending on their mood. Um, but I'll, I'll sort of look into there and see if there's, you know, just kind of a shutdown. Look for me or a content look, very different, yeah. um, an angry look, Yeah, or a happy look, um, sad,
0: worried. Yeah. worried. yeah, kind of that wrinkle above the Yeah, or, uh, there's
1: a lot of different yeah. shapes that the eye can take on, and even within the eye, you can see things. Um,
0: I think it's interesting with horses that make, like, more or less eye contact with you. Right. You know, that's always a little bit interesting to me because I've heard – That, you know, for example, stallions are very unlikely to make eye contact with you. But past that, I've always wondered a little bit, you know, some of the horses I have just, like, look right Right. at you. Follow you. Yeah, (laughs) and they really, like, they have something they want to say. And some horses just seem a little bit less engaged with people. I'm assuming from having a history of people who don't want to engage with them. Or don't know how to. Or don't know. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great point, yeah.
1: Um, And so I'll look at that. I look at... I look at the nostrils. You know, are there are there are there is there tension and wrinkles around the nostrils, or are they relaxed? I look at the chin. Mm, um, okay. Is the chin all wrinkled up? Um, is it pursed, kind of? You know, so
0: from kind of holding tension. Holding in their tension face. in their face. Yeah.
1: Um, is do they have a parrot lip? Because <laughs> <laughs> then I know I'm going to be in trouble. Really? Yeah. If they if they're pointing that, we can call it stallion lip. We used to joke yeah. about it being stallion lip. Stallions will do yeah. it a lot, or the or the foals you'll see do it a lot. Um, and then they just stick their top lip over their bottom lip. And if they're doing that at yeah. you <laughs> and you're just tr- starting to work with them, I know that I'm probably going to have one that's going to leap around a bit. Or Oh, why? Yeah. So
0: that's just like, is that a stress thing? It's a is stress that a sign. Self, is that kind of like a self-soothing mechanism?
1: I, I think it's actually tension instead okay. of soothing. Because when so the soothing happens, um, they will start to release. So it's kind
0: of like... Another way of, like, clenching their jaw. Exactly. Like, it would be similar to that. Okay. And if they're going
1: to get sassy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the sassy ones kind of, like, purse their lips. The, they so, will but, yeah. stick that
1: lip. As, so that whenever I see yeah. that in my homebreds or in, in horses that come in, I know that I'm going to get one that's like, let's go.
0: Okay. <laughs> Interesting. That's so cool. So then as you continue to evaluate, like are you looking kind of through their body in the way, or you're kind of first evaluating the face and then do you start to get on and see how they react to certain things? No, names? I won't get
1: on right away. I'm gonna I'm gonna um, I'm gonna lower the head with a okay, rope halter. Great. Um I'm gonna see where the tension is in the neck and the pole. Interesting. Flex okay. left to right. Okay. I'm gonna palpate the neck. Good. And I'm gonna see how much tension they're holding in that. I might pick up the leg, the front leg. I might pick up a hind leg just to see, do they allow me to do that? Yeah. Can I palpate the top of their back? Can I wave something over the top of their back, like a flag or a rope or anything? Can I swing stuff up there? Because that's where I'm going to be sitting.
0: That sounds incredibly holistic because you're kind of incorporating what I do evaluating a horse for body work. You know, lowering the head and neck um, has a lot of hormonal benefits. It releases uh, some dopamine dopamine and some relaxing – Hormones and neurotransmitters. Absolutely. But it's also a submissive position for them. Yeah. And it also relaxes their back and top lines. Absolutely. It has a. Just like if you stretch. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Asking the horse to drop their head and neck has just a multitude Multitude. of benefits. So it's one of the
1: first things I do. That's great. Yeah. I want to see how easy it is or how difficult it is. You know, how much work we have to do. And all of my horses do it at the, you know, it's like ounces. Right.
0: Um,
1: I, I don't have to really ask when they know it. But awesome. when I'm starting out, I mean sometimes you're you're in there for 20 minutes. Right. Um asking that horse to let go, to kind of let go to you.
0: Right.
1: And that it's okay and that you're going to you're going to be the the person that they can rely on.
0: Yes. I think I love that and I really think that like having you be stable Right. And empathetic to them is and allowing you to be their safe space. I mean, I not that I'm like a special person or a horse trainer, but like I work with a lot of horses. um, You know, I work on them. I massage a lot of horses who have who I get the warning that they're dangerous. Right. And I've never had one of those horses actually be dangerous. Like, And I think that when you just walk with a sense of, like, stability yes. and you, like, see them and within the first few seconds of meeting them, you're engaging in a kind yeah. but, like, almost predictable way to them. Right. You know? And it makes like,
1: them feel secure.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's almost something that can't be taught. Like, at some point I'd love to kind of dissect – what makes people like you and me just a little bit more grounded and a little bit more of that safe space to horses. Cause right. I think so many people would love to be that for their horses, but they're they just don't quite have that ability. It is a skill that I had to
1: hone for sure. It
0: is, yeah. And it's to me, I it's like just me will. being grounded and rooted. Like right. when I Walk, I actually kind of almost feel like I have roots growing out of my feet. Right. And there, like, there's
1: a lot to grounding also. Yeah. You know, yeah that's
0: um, a whole, whole study other, in and of itself. Yeah. A yeah. whole other conversation. But so you're going through and you're palpating them physically as well as keeping an eye on them emotionally. Right.
1: And then the tail is a big one too. Okay. What's with the tail? So if you want to feel tension, you know this, but yeah. um something I'll do before I get on any horse. Yeah. Is see where the tail is at. Can I lift it? Can I move it around?
0: And that's a neurologic thing. I mean, right. that's not even just a mental and like physiological thing. I mean, that's a neuro thing that you're testing for Absolutely. as well. I Absolutely. mean, obviously we can't give a neuro diagnosis or evaluation, no, but, no. but if some, if they're doing something super weird with their tail, that can be a sign that there's a neurologic Definitely. issue. Yeah.
1: Um, but you can feel tension in the back through the tail. Yeah. And so if I'm going to get on a horse and that tail is like, like clamp clamp <laughs> you're like <laughs> I'm not getting on yet yeah. right that's not the time we get on another right. thing i'll do is behind the ear And i learned this from the amazing don chessup my horsemanship trainer but he um he taught me right behind the ear you can press down and feel tension in there so i'll actually massage yeah. that area a little bit yeah. and you'll know what area no, that no. specifically no, I know. is yeah but he said that's a like a buck button, basically.
0: Interesting.
1: Um, and I will make sure that I can disengage the hindquarter. That's huge. I want to be able to disengage the hindquarter. I want to be able to move the shoulders off of very light pressure.
0: Disengage the hindquarter. what do you mean? Yeah, so
1: I mean um, taking the hind legs and moving them around the front legs.
0: Okay. And you so want kind the inside, turn the yeah. Forehand. Turn on the forehand. Okay.
1: You want the inside hind leg to cross under. Okay. Ideally. Um, and then I also want to be able to move the shoulder around the hindquarter like a turn on the haunches. But okay. it's in a it's in a horsemanship way. So you want it to be off light aid and you want it to be soft and you want it to be kind of a, a communication between you and the horse.
0: So we're not tapping the horse with the whip right. just to get them to
1: do the movement.
0: We're really like it, watching how they move and we're watching their energy Absolutely. and their, the way their body moves as we gently ask them to do And I want movements. that to ultimately
1: be done in Liberty. You know, my best horses okay. will do that with nothing on them. Awesome, And it's just like a little a dance that we have and share. And so if I can't move a horse's shoulders from the ground, the shoulders get real sticky. People yeah. don't always realize how yeah. earthbound those shoulders can be.
0: Well, it's a it's a prey thing, I think. Yes. To, I think that horses, like their, their center of balance is so next to their shoulders. And I think that a lot of, I've heard through training, you know, horses that have difficulty yielding their shoulders to your horses that have Submis- they, Submission. Submission issues. They're, not they're going more to dominant be, horses. Yeah, they're going to be. And like, I almost hate w- using the word submissive, but maybe right. they're they're a little bit less inclined to be collaborative with right, you.
1: Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the, you know, the, there is that sort of connotation with the word submissive because. Right. And I and I often I you know I'm still honing how to really speak about this because I talk about partnership, but then I'll use right. words like submissive, but well, there has to be a leader. Right.
0: There does. And also in dressage, we do use the word subm- it's in our test, submissive Submissive right. to not necessarily use the word. Because I think submissive in the non-horse world, in the non-even dressage world, right. has this connotation of, like, being beat down right. and dominated And that constantly. is not at all what it no, should be. No, and submissive in the dressage sense of the word really means letting the rider be the leader.
1: Right. Right. And that's really what it, you yeah. know, and I want it this to be, be. A, a partnership right. always. But there has to be a leader in it. And horses need a leader. And oftentimes yeah. I think people get into trouble when there isn't a clear leader yes. in yeah. that partnership. Right. And so I spend a lot of time teaching my students how to be that leader for their horse without being aggressive, um, without using force. Right. But you have to be that leader for them because that's what they are used to. They are herd animals and they, they need a leader. And if they're put in that position right. and they're not supposed to be, there's only one mare right. that's in that role, right, in a whole herd. Right. So most horses aren't made for that role. Right. And if they feel that that's the role that they've been put in. They're anxious. They're anxious.
0: And I think that's when a lot of people get into trouble because they think that softness and kindness to their horse is being, like, totally submissive and, like, rolling over to them. But I actually think that that uh, leads the horse to a lot more anxiety and can actually really create a dangerous situation. I agree 100%. Yeah. You know, I see, like, for example, with trailering, I notice this a lot. And this could be a whole separate conversation. But, like, I think a lot of people are they themselves a little scared of trailering, you know, maybe from a previous horse with a bad experience. So they, like – are kind of slowly leading the horse on, expecting the horse to be bad. And the horse is like, well, are we going or are we not? Because you're right. putting me in a metal box. So if you're not pretty sure about this situation, Absolutely. I'm definitely If you're not, not confident, sure. yeah.
1: the horse isn't going to be confident. Yeah. Either.
0: I mean, I can't tell you how many, like, situations I've been in where a friend has said, like, oh, they're a bad loader. And I just grab the horse and I walk on the right, trailer because right. I'm like, you're going to load. Right. And that's not always the case. That's actually no, – right. there are many, many horses who do actually have Have a trailer, major issues. Not, yeah. Right. I'm not saying that, like – you're, it's always you, the, yeah, the tra- yeah, yeah. you know, the rider who's the problem with the horse. But, you know, I think that when you just walk into a situation with your horse and you're like, you're going to be good, you know, hey good? man, I've hey man, you. I'm going to tell you what's going You know, and I think that's part of like why I do so well with anxious horses is I'm experienced and I just go there and I'm just like, hey, what's up? Okay, we're going to do this today. And they're like, oh, okay, you know. Right. They feel yeah. energy
1: 10 yeah. times more than we do. You know, their intuition. They're so sensitive. They're, yeah. so, sensitive. they're so incredible. Yeah. You know we can only scratch the surface of what they're able to feel. Yes, that's so true. And so I always tell people the energy that you walk in the barn with is the energy that you're putting out in the barn and to your horse. Yeah. And so, and that goes for me and that goes for all of my students and and my staff and everybody. Um, Because the horses are going to feel it. They know it. Right. They feel your heartbeat from four feet away. Yeah. That's huge. Um, So you're either putting confidence in or you're taking it out.
0: And I think, you know, that goes back to, I say this with so much kindness, you know, I think young horses are like toddlers, and more mature horses are more like four, five, six, seven-year-olds. And it's not more serious than that, right? Right. But like, you don't go to parent a toddler and say, like, you're going to parent yourself. Like, that potentially can end up with a toddler that's in a pretty bad position, right? right. Like if you just kind of let them have free rein, you know, the toddler's going to knock everything over and the toddler might hurt themselves. And it's the same thing with a young horse. Like you have to give them activities and you have to give them feedback and advice, yes. but just in a kind way. And if they do something stupid, it's probably not the toddler's fault. It's probably your fault.
1: Right. Oh, and I love this that you said that because it made me think of something that I love to do with young horses and horses that come in, but especially yeah. the young ones. I like to ask them questions.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: Not – and then they're able to then think about how they're going to answer. And mm. then the release is the reward. Okay. And so then they might search and search and search for the answer and get – the hit the wrong one a few times. And the re, the reward doesn't come yet. And then the moment that they respond in the way that I'm asking for, they get that reward. It makes them feel like they're part of the conversation and it builds their confidence. And it builds their confidence, their self confidence. Right. You want your horse to have its own self confidence.
0: And that's the fine line you have to walk between being a leader and not being totally dominating all yes. the time. Because you can't just take options away from your horse all
1: the time. I don't want time. to tell them what to do. No,
0: you can't. You know, for example, like just this. I feel like cross country is such a palpable example of this. Like you don't necessarily want a horse that's gonna jump a hundred times out of a hundred times. Really, the best horse, especially for a young person not a professional to be on is the horse that's not going to jump when it's not safe. The horse that's smart enough and is comfortable enough saying no when they see a bad distance or there's a bad, you know, like there's bad ground, you know, Mm -hmm. they feel comfortable saying, yeah, we're not doing it. You know, that is such a palpable example of like that horse who is comfortable saying no to a question is Eon safer than the horse that's going to jump gonna go because, because, because they trust you, mm-hmm. right? So there's a, there are layers to this, and that's why you know we talked about earlier horse training and really in life there's not one solid answer you can ever give. Right. Like you can't get on this podcast and say this is the blueprint for training a young horse. Good luck, you know <laughs> luck. that's Here not possible. Go. I wish it was, right? Right? But so okay. So with me just saying that, what are can you think of any exercises that like a lot of you know, most people could try with their horses.
1: It's yeah. So everything that we went through on the ground, for yeah. sure, um, do all of those things before you get on. And there's okay. other, you know, there's other things that I do before I get on a horse as well. Um, but when you're on, um, there's there's so there's so many little little details that I'll, that I that I do every day. But right. um, something that I always get on and do. Is make sure that I can flex left and right really softly and supplely, that I can have a two rein yield, okay. which means you take the horse in contact at a halt okay. and you are searching for the perfect field. This is one of those question things.
0: Yeah, um, and, and this is something you teach in depth in one of your online courses. In one of the courses, online courses, yes. You're in it. Actually, <laughs> was was. Yeah, I was the person who she taught, and it was my first time with you teaching me it. And it was so cool. It was such a light bulb moment. It really is, and it helps um, so many horses. Yeah. It's yeah. something I do so with all writers. of them. I mean, so many I mean, yeah, it totally, like, changed the way I look at, like, connection. right. Um, But so, yeah, so you kind of have that, like, connection establishment. I have the connection establishment
1: at the hall, really, before I do anything. And then, you know, a big one for me is making sure that I have a rain back.
0: Mm, and I teach it very okay. differently than most. Yeah. And I would love to discuss this more at some point, but I, it doesn't sit right with me how many people use the Rainback as a punishment aid. Right. And that's so weirdly common. And I just <laughs> don't really understand who
1: started that. I don't know. And
0: it, I just like think it's super damaging. It I mean, because Rainback is an incredible tool to oh, strengthen. It's so, it's so incredible. It strengthens the hind end. It strengthens the stifles. It strengthens proprioception. Yeah, it helps put it's, them in the
1: correct position for pushing. Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. It's an amazing tool. But why are you guys using it just to... To punish horses. Right. And it's also and,
1: really great mentally as a horse. It's yeah. a submission thing also. Yeah. You know, yeah. asking your horse to back and then them willingly saying, yes, absolutely. That's yeah. a big deal. Oh, it's a huge deal.
0: They're, they don't, they naturally In horses nature, do not right. back up. Exactly. Right? And so this is a
1: big do. one and it's one yeah. that I use every day, all the time. FEI horses, yeah. three-year-olds, uh, babies on the ground. Yeah. My, you know, the yearlings, they back to the lead. Like, right. like. They, they, they have to learn those things. It doesn't matter what age. Um, it's, my 25-year-old does his rainbacks. You know, right. it's, it's such an important thing, not only for training, but also for your partnership. Um, and I think that's a big one for me that I do. And teaching your horse how to not only yield off the hand that they can supple, but also off the leg. Having that communication with your calf and your seat you know i'm very seat based in my yeah. training i really like when the horse feels confident just being ridden that way and you know i have i have my students all the time like i don't, just put your if you're safe put your horse on a long rein yeah and can you turn can you steer can you yield can you halt you know this is all stuff that i play with without reins all the time and then You pick up the rein and ask for all of those things with contact, with a soft, light contact. And all of that goes back to why empathy is so important for me because I'm asking those things out of a place of empathy because I want my horse to be comfortable with me on them. And so I want my horse to feel comfortable with me on them, with me touching their mouth, with me sitting on their back. That all comes from me feeling like I want my horse to just – be accepting of that and willing yeah. and and want that partnership. If my horse doesn't want the partnership with me, I've got a lot of work to do.
0: Well, and really, like, what, what everything you're saying to me is I feel like can kind of be summed up by thinking to yourself, if I was going to trade places with my horse, yes. would I be happy? Yes. Right? Because, like, honestly, looking back… A lot of the things I did to my horse back when I didn't know any better, I wouldn't
1: have been happy. I wouldn't have been happy, right? Because
0: right? because I wasn't happy as an owner and right. as a rider, and I wasn't and that twenty five
1: years ago. No,
0: no, but that's so interesting. So, I, so as you like think through like your process, you know, with uh, with horses, how do you in turn have empathy when you train riders? Because yes. you're so empathetic to your riders, but at the same time you hold a pretty high standard for them, Right. and I think that that balance is hard to strike and could absolutely be a conversation within and of itself. Absolutely,
1: and yeah. it, and it's something I'm I'm still growing as a as an educator and a teacher and a coach. And um, I was a rider long before I was a train a, a coach, right? right? So I didn't start teaching until. Um, My mid 20s, whereas I'd been riding since I was four. Right. Right. So, and it's an entirely different skill.
0: It is. And I think it's also hard when, you know, someone who's been riding for so long tries to teach people who have just picked it up. Right. I think it's, I think it takes a special skill set to kind of like remember Mm -hmm. what it's even like to not know. I mean, for example, I think I could help someone who's like, who is a few years before me, but I think I would really struggle to teach beginner lessons. Right. Not because I don't want to, but just because I don't even like remember. Like where do I it was even so long start? Ago. Yeah. Right. Like it was so long ago. So I think like you started even younger than I did, mm-hmm. you know, like putting yourself in that person's shoes and like thinking yeah. about um, what they do and don't know and what they are and aren't struggling with and mm-hmm. what maybe they're afraid to ask you even because, sure. you know, I think like, I've noticed a lot of my friends who start in horses a little bit later in life, they will have a lesson with their trainer and they'll call me up and they'll be like – yeah. And they'll be like, hey, you know, she kept like saying this thing to me and I just, you know, I just don't really understand it. And I'll be like, oh, oh you know, and I'll, yeah. and I'll tell them, but I'll be like, you know, you could really ask your trainer. Right. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah. It's, okay. it's okay that you don't know. Like, and if think, they don't, they're not okay with it, then don't ride with them. <laughs> well, and also like, for example, like the half haul,
0: I think every, oh, I think yeah. many trainers teach, almost every trainer teaches a different half haul. Right. right. And so a lot of the time when you start working, I'm one of those people who ask an embarrassing number of questions to the point it's probably annoying. Well, no, but I love
1: that about you Um, because it also makes me a better teacher. Oh, that's sweet. Right? Because it makes me more aware of what my students might be going through. Right. Um, Well,
0: yeah, because I remember, like, when I first started working with you, you would tell me to do something. I'd be like, well, what aids do you want me to give? Because I felt like my education has been from a very different perspective until I met you. And I was like, well – you know, I'm kind of in a way starting from square one with you because you have a different system. Like you telling me, oh, okay, like give a half halt, do a leg yield. Well, can you just like remind me? What does that
1: mean to you? Yeah, exactly. What does that
0: mean to you? And I think like that was valuable for me because I actually think so many trainers like assume you have a base level of knowledge, even if you don't. So they say like, oh, do a leg yield. Well, to some students, that might just mean like kick over with right. the inside rein or with the inside leg. Right. You know, it. That's kind of well, what it you meant know. to me. Until that's recently. one of my. Yeah. <laughs> that's one and that's of my like, big ones. That's like a pet peeve of yours, yes. almost. And
1: because I was not taught incorrectly, but I right. wasn't taught like how to what it really means and how to really break it down. And it was you know yeah. my my love Gary Rockwell um, <laughs> that humbled me to the point of like probably a military boot camp. <laughs> Um, we all need that right when I first started riding with him I was a I was a professional dressage rider at that point so certainly I could do a leg guild and a 20 meter circle (laughs) yeah then I rode with Gary yeah
0: Yeah. and
1: he but the way that he re-taught those things to me changed who I was as a rider you know and then some of the things he taught me like specifically the elbows and I always give him credit to that um it took me eight months to actually figure out what he meant until the moment that it, like, clicked. really clicked for me. And I couldn't wait to tell him the next time I saw him, which was, like, you know, a year. And I tell him, I'm all excited, and I tell him, and he's like, yeah, okay. Like, he didn't even remember, you know, yeah. he started laughing. <laughs> um, he started laughing, and he appreciated it that I that I took something that he said that I didn't quite understand. And even though he explained it to me that day, I didn't get the feeling. For eight months. Well, and that's the thing is
0: I've just started gardening. I've kind of picked up a new hobby. Um, But I actually really think that gardening and training horses has so much in common because you don't get the – like you don't get the reward right of away. what you sow. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is I think of education, especially with like dressage because it's so cerebral, but really with anything is you kind of like sprinkle in seeds yeah. and you hope that some of them stick and they start to develop. Right. And then you go through a new weed and you pull the weeds and you tell them like, well, okay, like you picked up some good habits and you've picked up some bad habits and then you go through and you plant some more seeds. Right. And But it's not anything more serious than that. Like no. it's not anything that you need to internalize or, be hard on yourself oh, about
1: people. So many of my students are so, so hard, hard on, themselves on themselves and anxious yeah. about doing things, doing things wrong. They're afraid right. to mess it up,
0: and that's and I like, always say, right. mess it up. That just ride the horse. Like right. you have to make mistakes. You know, you, you aren't going to be a good rider until you do about ten thousand hours make, of riding. Yes. But you're not gonna get any better if you do ten thousand hours of hacking, no offense. Right, you're right. you're going to get better as you try out different things ten thousand times. Don't like,
1: worry about it being so pretty. Right, exactly. You know? Yeah. Let it be a, a beautiful disaster.
0: Yeah. And, until it's ready to be is. an
1: art. Exactly. You know,
0: and you know you also I want to touch on you have a psychology degree, and i've said I've said this far before I met you. I really think that trainers in our industry have to wear so many hats, like mm-hmm. they're not just a horse trainer, they're a hauler, they're a barn manager, and really they're life coaches right. and psychologists. you know, I think I took at least a few years off of my childhood trainer's life because <laughs> I was going through it, and it was her problem right you know, like she stepped in for me. And I think that I, she, you know, she, I put a lot of gray hairs on right. her. Yep, I certainly. You
1: could, <laughs> my trainers would say the same.
0: So, you know, how do you kind of implement like your knowledge of psychology and like reading horse body language? Yep. Like, do you do you use that knowledge to kind of read human body language and kind of
1: tailor your program to your students as well? Absolutely. I yeah. think you know, being someone that's a sort of an empath and a sensitive person. I really want my students to feel secure mm. with me.
0: And that goes back to being a leader. Right. Right. Like you don't want a trainer who's
1: not going to lead you the direction you right. want to. Right. And go. I'm also going to be there when you really fuck it up. Yeah. And when you fail. Right. I have a couple of students that, um, you know, I have one in particular comes to mind. She was so afraid to show because of the experiences that she'd had in the past where, like, her trainer and her other fellow barn mates would bail on her. Like, leave in the middle of the show, right? That's awful. Right, when it oh wasn't going well because they didn't want to be associated with it.
0: Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. So yeah. she had a lot of. I thought you were just going to say something mild, like no. oh they weren't like fun to show with. Oh, that's awful. She came with like
1: serious yeah. baggage, and now yeah. she loves to show. Yeah, and we're having a blast, you know. And then I have other students that would have crippling anxiety about going in the ring, right? And so
0: this could this could totally be another right, letting episode, them just yeah, feel because-
1: comfortable. It's not that,
0: yeah, like just being kind to people. Right, just be kind
1: to people and feel like you're their champion and you're there to support them and cheer them on, whether it goes great or whether it is a total disaster. Because nobody's failed more than I have in my barn, guaranteed, Right. right? Yeah. And so why would I ever make them feel anything but supported?
0: Right.
1: And that's where we learn the most from in our failures, Right. You don't learn a lot by winning everything, you know. I mean, I, I would, I wouldn't know actually. I can't, I can't even speak
0: to that. I wouldn't know either. I wouldn't. Know. Um,
1: but I just want people to feel that this. Don't put so much pressure on yourself and your horse going in the ring. Yeah. If it terrifies you, let's just go to the show.
0: Yeah, hang out. And let's
1: just hang out. And let's. Yeah. And then next time we'll bring your horse. Yeah. And watch me coach my students. Yeah. So that you start to feel comfortable just being at that environment. Yeah. And then we'll bring your horse and then you just ride in the warm-up.
0: Yeah. What a beautiful way of like, like setting someone okay. up for success. Right. Validating their previous anxiety their validating their previous traumas and, right. their, and helping their anxieties forward.
1: and validating their struggles. There is a way to push your students to do better. Right. Without making them feel anxious about it or not worthy of doing it, right? Um, or or bullied or you know put down, right. you know. I think growing up in the era that I did, it was a lot of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think we, we were should probably. Scared. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should probably leave that for the next episode. I'd Absolutely. love to do a toxic trainers episode, right? With you. Yeah, um, I would love that. But so to wrap it all up, you know, what is something when it comes to training horses with empathy? That you don't buck with.
1: Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I already said we can't blame the horse. So what would I say? When it comes to empathy, I don't buck with being too hard on ourselves.
0: Oh, okay. As we learn to be empathetic. Trainers. As we learn
1: this, pro- this has taken yeah. me a lifetime. And I, I always say that I'm just scratching the surface.
0: And I think that above all else, it takes empathy and confidence in ourself to have empathy to others. Right. So as you gain confidence in yourself and say to yourself, everything my horse is doing is not necessarily a direct reflection of like who I am as a person. You know, they are yeah. also, you know, they are also their own human beings. So if they're having an issue and I'm here for them, that doesn't mean that if I don't move up the levels this year, that I'm a bad rider no. or I'm a less of a rider, but no. having that empathy and confidence within yourself allows you to be so empathetic to them.
1: Absolutely. And I, I'm always going to say going slower is better.
0: Yeah, there's no no one ever died from going slower.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And just, yeah, have that grace for yourself.
0: Awesome. Well, that'll be perfect. Lead into our next episode. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you for being here.